Um, we made it, right? Come on, right? We're the spiritual ones. Just kidding, just kidding. I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. Um, but hey, uh, before we uh, jump in, I just want to say welcome. Thank you so much for being here. My name is Steve. I'm the lead pastor. Um, but we, before we jump in, I want to draw your attention to two things. Um, number one is that this Wednesday is Vintage Christmas, um, and that will be happening uh, down at the Vintage Garden uh, Event Center venue. Um, it's just outside of Barnesville, um, and so uh, you can uh, look that up, uh, but it's in the, it's in the Vintage Garden um, Event Center, and uh, it starts at uh, 6, it goes to 69. We have 6.30 and 7.30 uh, carol sing-along. It'll be time for us to sing praises to Jesus as well as get to know each other, and if you are new or maybe you haven't felt super connected at Ignite, this is a great opportunity to come and meet some people, um, get some cookies, uh, hang out, and so highly recommend you guys coming out and joining us uh, uh, a vintage Christmas uh, coming up this Wednesday. Um, also, I uh, want to draw your attention to next week, we're starting a new sermon series called Messiah, the Savior of the World. We're going to be taking a break from our Matthew series, and we're going to be taking uh, four weeks around the Christmas season. Uh, we're going to be talking about why Jesus is the Messiah and why that word means so much and why it's so important that we celebrate uh, his coming to earth over Christmas. And so um, if you have friends um, who don't know Jesus and maybe are curious curious about what it means to be a follower of Jesus or why Christmas means so much, this is going to be a tremendous series for you to invite people. We actually have invites on the way out at the welcome table. Um, uh, so grab some, invite your friends uh, to this series, this four-week series, as we look at Jesus being the Messiah, uh, the Savior of the world. Um, also, one more thing. Um, last week, we did Give Back Sunday. How many people got envelopes last week? How many people have spent those money? How many people spent that money? Awesome. The rest of you, you got like three days, uh, three or four days. So just so you know, um, you, got, you got a little bit of time, but go out there and be um, blessing somebody. We are um, finishing up uh, a section of the book of Matthew this morning. It is Jesus' most famous sermon, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, and it's chapters five through seven in the book of Matthew. Matthew is a disciple of Jesus. He's an eyewitness to the life of Jesus, and after Jesus dies and raises from the dead, Matthew would write his account, his eyewitness account, to what he witnessed and saw under the guidance and inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that he was, the Holy Spirit was guiding him along the way as he wrote out these accounts. These are, these are breathed out by God words for us. And what we've seen throughout, um, what we've seen throughout the Sermon on the Mount is, is that Jesus has promised us blessing. He has shown that he's the fulfillment of the law. He addresses our hearts. He shapes the rhythms of our life. He lifts our eyes. He defines our relationship, and he, and he determines our trajectory. What we've talked about all of those things throughout this sermon is the words of Jesus as he as, uh, has preached to us. And at the end of his message, he's going to call us to action. He's going, to, he's, going to, um, uh, he's going to have us do something. That's the big thing about uh, this, this sermon is that he not only teaches us and useful information, but now he's calling us to action. Because well, here's the thing, when we trust somebody or when we trust someone, trust is both an inward decision and an outward action. 
okay? It's both an inward decision and an outward action. If someone said, do you trust this table, Steve? I'm like, yeah. Do you trust it enough to stem on it? No. But if I did, right, like, it, it, there comes a point, like, when do you put the weight of this, of my body on this table? What if, what if I were to do that? Would I be trusting the table? When do you put the weight of your life in someone else's hands or something else's hands? Do you trust it? Okay? What do you trust? Where is your trust? We do trust things all the time, right? You trusted your vehicle to get you here today. There was action and a decision that was made. Um, I think the, 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 the biggest illustration that I could think of is this, is in the 1990s, way back then, uh, in the 1990s, um, corporate America started to realize, they were doing research on their employees, and they started to realize that, that um, employee satisfaction and teamwork were very, very important to be able to um, be effective in your work ministry, in your, in your workplace. And so they started doing things like off-site retreats where they could do team-building exercises because they said if we have good teams, then those good teams are going to work well, and when they work well, they're going to put forth a good product. And so they started building teams, and, and one of the things that they did, often a lot of people did corporate America, what they did is they would bring in some kind of leadership coach or, or leadership guru, and inevitably, something came about that we now often joke about in our culture, but the trust fall, right? That at some point, there was a trust fall. There was, there was like to illustrate trust, you had to, you, had to you, know, stand like this, put your arms, and you had to fall backwards, and you had to rely on and trust other people to catch you. Now, if you YouTube trust fall, you're going to see a lot of those things go badly, um, right? Like it's, it's like a, it's a trust fall fail kind of thing. And we joke about trust falls, but here's the thing. The principle, it was driving home something very, very important, that we can say all we want, that we trust something, but until we put put our, our, our words into action. Do we really trust someone? Do we really trust something? It's about an inward decision, yes, but it's also about an outward action. And so Jesus is going to call us to respond, and we have to, we have to make this decision. Do we trust Jesus or don't we? And so we're going to be in the book of Matthew in chapter 7, and we're going to start in verse 24 today. Um, and you're going to see um, two different responses contrasting the wise response and the foolish response. The first one is Jesus saying this. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them. If you hear them and do them, you're like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. It's really interesting. There's a Hebrew word for the word listen. It's shema. And shema is a, is a really interesting word because it not only means to hear audibly, but to obey. You see, in, in, in Hebrew culture, it meant it, to listen meant to obey. If you didn't do what you were supposed to be doing, then you weren't listening. Does that make sense? It's the same, uh, two sides of the same coin, listen and obedience. They, they put those two together, that, that to, to listen means to hear the instructions and then put them into action. That's why in, in like Isaiah chapter 6 and then also Jesus in Mark chapter 4 says, you're hearing but you're not listening. You're, you're hearing but you're not understanding. 
And, and so, like, what he's saying is we're not questioning the fact that sound waves have hit your ears. We know that you can hear, but are you really listening? Because if you really listened, then you would put these things into action. And so he says, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them and does them is like the wise man who built his house upon the rock. Everyone who shema, everyone who, who listened to Jesus' teaching, meaning that they heard it and then put it into action. He said he likens it to, to building a house upon the rock. He built his house upon the rock. What we're talking about is, is building something on a good foundation. And if he says, the house is like your life. And if you do these words of mine, then, then it's like building your life upon something that is solid. It's very, very, very important that you build upon good foundation. And it's very important that you lay a foundation properly. It takes work, it takes effort, but if you watch things being built around town, they spend an inordinate amount of time on building the foundation. They're meticulous and careful about building things on a good foundation. Why? Because everything else gets built upon that foundation, and if the foundation is bad, then everything is bad. If the foundation is bad, it's just a matter of time before everything crashes. And so he says, Doing the words that I teach you is like building your house on something that is solid. It's a sure foundation. It's like putting, it's about putting your house upon the rock. It's about building on something that is firm. Now here's the thing also is that building a foundation on the rock takes work. It takes effort. It takes effort to do that because you got to dig underneath the surface to get down to sure footing. And if you're building your life on just surfacey things, then your life will only be surfacey. Is that a word, by the way, surfacey? We'll go with it. Then your life will be shallow. What's under the surface of your life? What's, what's beyond everything that everyone can see? Because all of us can put on a good face. I mean, you guys, you're a good looking group, okay? You're all beautiful people, right? But what's going on underneath? What's, what is your life built upon? Is it built upon the things that are just surfacey, or is it built on the things that last? Is it built on a sure foundation, on the words of God himself? And he says, because here's what's going to happen. The rains came down, the floods went up. The rains came down, Floods went up, rain came down, the floods went up, and the house on the rock stood firm, right? There's a Sunday school song. People don't get that, okay. Um, it was funny for me. Um, when, you, when the rains fall, and the floods come, and the winds blow, and it beats on the house, here's just another example of Jesus telling us there will be suffering in this life. There will be trial in your life. Not everything is going to go swimmingly. There are things that are going to disrupt your plans. There are things that are going to, that are going to try you. There are things that are going to, there's things that are going to make you suffer in this world. Jesus does not negate the fact. Jesus doesn't even deny that it's going to happen. In fact, he tells us what exactly is going to happen. He says, and trial is going to come in your life. 
And when trial comes in your life, what's going to happen? The Christian life is not about avoiding trial. It's not about avoiding pain. We don't purposely run into things and do things foolishly, but it's not about it's not about avoiding things that are difficult. The Christian life is about perseverance. The Christian life is about endurance. And Jesus is preparing us for that. He's he's preparing us for a life of endurance, a life where we need to persevere because bad things happen. We live in a broken world. The brokenness was introduced by sinful humanity. Like we broke, we sinned against God's commands. And from that moment, everything has been broken. There's, There's trial in this life. The rains will fall, the floods will come, and the winds will blow against your life. He says, and when that happens... If, you're, if your life is built upon Christ, if your life is built upon the words of Jesus, say not only, not only to hear them, but to do them, to ask God to give us the Holy Spirit, to, to guide us and give us the strength to do these things. And when we do, when the trials come, the house will stand firm. Our life will not collapse under the weight of it. it the house on the rock stood firm. A couple weeks ago, I saw an interview that was really amazing to me. Um, it was an interview of a guy named Nick Foles. And Nick Foles is a follower of Jesus. Um, he also happens to be an NFL quarterback. And a few years ago, Nick Foles won the Super Bowl. He was a backup quarterback, took over for uh, injured Carson Wentz, went and took the team to them, won the Super Bowl. Highest, highest achievement in his profession, he did it. Okay? This year, he signed a very lucrative contract with another team in Jacksonville, the Jaguars, and the first game of the season, he gets hurt, and he hasn't played since. And so he's been out with injury. So he's experienced the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. Like, he wants to contribute. He wants to do something that he loves yearly, but he can't right now because he's physically injured to do so. And they interviewed him a few weeks ago. And they said, so Nick, here's the deal. Like, you've had the greatest experience that any professional, the the things that NFL players only dream of, and yet you've also experienced some of the lowest of times. I know that your faith is important to you, but like, seriously, how do you get through that? And his response was amazing. His response says, he said, well, first off, we have to realize that this life isn't about me. It's not about me. He said, he said, when I stood on the podium and I held the Super Bowl trophy and I was smiling, he said, my smile was in recognition that my life is not defined by this trophy. That my identity is in Christ and my life is so much more than just football. He said, I was smiling because I knew that this was not my life. And he said, now that I've experienced lows and hardships, he said, my life is still not defined by this injury, my life is in Christ. It's a perfect example of what we see of building your house upon the rock. He, he had the sunny days, and now he's got the, the dark days with the, the rains and the floods and the winds, and yet, and yet his life is still the same. Why? Because it's built on a sure foundation. His life is built on Jesus. He said that's the wise response, to hear the words of Jesus and do them. There's another response. 
and that is the one of the fool. Verse 26. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat against that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. I think somewhere in our culture, we lost the um, definition and maybe even the essence of what it means to be a fool. Because the Bible, when, it talks, when the Bible talks about being a fool, that's something you don't want to be called at all. You don't want to be foolish. Because here's, I think what happens is, is in our culture, we say when we think of the word fool, often we think of someone who maybe isn't that smart. Um, we think about like the court gesture, right? The town fool, someone who just walked around in merriment and went, hi, oh, he's a fool. And you're like, yeah, I am. Right, you know? But here's the thing about a foolish person is a foolish person often is very intelligent. They're usually very intelligent. And a foolish person often is very likable. They might even have a charisma about them, that you're drawn to them. And so when you see their actions, it's really, uh, it's really disconcerting. In your mind, you're like, but you should be more than this. You see, a foolish person isn't that they don't know the truth. It's that they don't care. A foolish person knows the difference between right and wrong. They just don't care. And they don't care who gets hurt by them. A foolish person won't retake responsibility for their actions. Uh, Henry Cloud, uh, a, a Christian uh, psychologist and author, says it this way. He says, the difference between a wise person and a foolish person. He said, a wise person will hear the truth and they will adjust to the truth. He says, a foolish person will hear the truth and expect the truth and the world to adjust to them. And so let's say if I'm, if I'm running late for work consistently and my boss calls me and says, hey, Steve, you've been late for work consistently, you would say, you know what? You're right. I either need to get up earlier. I need to take a different place of work. I need to figure out, I need to figure this out, right? Because the truth is I'm late and I need to adjust to that if I want to continue to work here. That's what a wise person would do. It's not that they don't make mistakes. A wise person just adjusts to the truth. A foolish person says, Steve, you've been late uh, over and over again. A foolish person will expect everything to adjust around them. Well, you start too early. Well, I got things I got to do. Well, you weren't very clear on that. Well, this, well, that. And, and you end up like blaming other people for their actions. That's what a foolish person does. A foolish person hears the words of Jesus and doesn't care. And if they hurt other people because of their choices, they also don't care. They're like, well, that's your fault for believing me. Welcome to the real world. I just gave you a test in life. No apology, no responsibility. Suddenly, the pain that they're causing you is them doing you a favor. And he says, if you hear the words of Jesus and you totally disregard it, that's foolish. It's not that you lack intelligence, that you lack wisdom. You're foolish. And he says, and a foolish person will build their house upon the sand. 
They know what's right. They're just not going to do it. They're either too lazy, too arrogant, too prideful, or too rebellious. I just don't want to deal with it. And here's the thing about a foolish life. Is that for a while it will work. And I think that's maybe the, probably the most alarming thing about it. Is that a foolish life will work for a while. You build your house on the sand and there's no storms coming. You didn't lay a good foundation and you built your life on something. You built your life on something that's shaky ground. It's going to look good for a while. And he's going to brag or she's going to brag about how amazing their life is. Look at this. Look at this. I took the easy route. I took the path of least resistance. I don't need God in my life. I can make this on my own. And they build their whole life around something that looks so amazing, right? They, go, they get to go on all the vacations and all the trips and they get the promotions and they, they have the car and they have the girl, they have the guy. And it looks wonderful from the outside. And you go, see, it's working. I don't need God and I don't need his commands in my life. And the temptation for people who are living wisely will look up on the hill and see that beautiful house on the peak and go, man, I wish I had that. Why don't I get, why don't I get that? Why don't, I get to, why don't I get to do all the things that that person does? I'm, I'm trying to honor God with my life and look at, look at their life. And the temptation is to cut corners and to, and to lay down a weak foundation just so you can be like them. And the temptation comes in that God is somehow holding out on us. But what we see in the life of a fool, when they hear the words of Jesus and just disregard them altogether, is that it'll work until it doesn't. You're like, well, when does it, when does it stop working? When the rains fall and the floods come and the winds blow. It works until it doesn't. And when it doesn't, it collapses. It collapses. Great is the fall. It's a house of cards. Right? It works until it doesn't. I think of like Bernie Madoff. Like, like he had this, he built this whole thing on a Ponzi scheme and it was all just facade and then it all crashed down. Right? Everything crashed. And it didn't just hurt him. It hurt everyone around him. Everyone that trusted him. It says, and the rains fell and the winds and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall. The collapse of your life when you build your life on shifting sand is catastrophic. And it won't just hurt you. It'll hurt the people around you and the people that love you. There's a proverb in the Bible that says, the companion of fools will suffer harm. I think it's interesting that it doesn't say the companion of fools will become a fool. It says the companion of fools will suffer harm. Just being around, it doesn't mean that you will become foolish yourself, but you will get hurt. That's the foolish response to what Jesus is saying in this moment. He's like, I, I hear what you're saying, but whatever. And think about this. Jesus, in this sermon alone, has had a lot to say. In this sermon alone, in the Sermon on the Mount, he's addressed bitterness, arrogance, greed, vanity, blessing, anger, lust, forgiveness, prayer, and a host of other topics. He's touched on them all. 
And he says, do you hear what I'm saying? Now, if you really are listening, you're gonna go and do them. You're gonna go and put these things into practice. Jesus has a lot to say about a lot of things, and some of the things that we've talked about has made us all uncomfortable. And the question is, who am I going to submit to? Jesus has just said things very, very clearly. Am I gonna submit to Jesus and understand that he knows more than me? Or am I gonna reject Jesus' words and I'm gonna live my own way? And I'm gonna be my own God. I'm gonna construct my own life. That's really where we're at. We all have this, this, this opportunity in this moment. Are we going to really listen to Jesus or aren't we? It's really interesting that Jesus, he wasn't talking about this in a, in, a, in a vacuum. There wasn't like there was nobody around. There was people in the presence of Jesus' preaching. And they respond to him in verse 28. And when Jesus finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. We have to understand that when Jesus says things, He's God. He's God Almighty. He's God in the flesh. What we're responding to and who we are responding to is God himself, the creator of heaven and earth. He's not just a wise sage. He's not a political revolutionary. He's not a hippie homeless person. Right? I've heard all those things. Who is Jesus? heard a lot of different things. But who Jesus is, is God in the flesh, the second person of the triune God here on this earth. And when he speaks, he speaks with authority. Not a false authority, not bragging, not arrogant. He just is God. And so his words are authoritative. He doesn't refer to any kind of higher being. Why? Because he's God. He submits his will to the Father, but in the triune God. This is, this is God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And Jesus speaks as one who had authority, and it astonished people. They're like, whoa, he's saying really bold things, and very direct things, and very clear things. And he says it with authority. He says it with such clear conviction. Why? Because he knows what is true. Because he is the truth. He says that he was teaching as one who had authority and not as their scribes. I love it that there's a contrast here. He's teaching with authority, not like these guys. Right? The scribes were the keepers of the law. The scribes were the ones who wrote things down. The scribes were the rule keepers, both of the biblical law and then just the, these man-made laws. Like, they were the keepers of the rules. And they didn't speak on their own authority. They just wrote the things down and referred back. In his commentary on this section, Warren Wearsby uh, says this. The congregation was astonished at this sermon. Why? Why? Because Jesus spoke with divine authority. 
The scribes and Pharisees spoke from authorities, always quoting the various rabbis and experts of the law. Jesus needed no human teacher to add authority to his words, for he spoke as the Son of God. We cannot lightly dismiss this sermon, for it is God who gave it to us. We must either bow before him and submit to his authority, or we will be condemned. Every week at Ignite, we open the word of God and we let it bear weight on our souls, mine included. My sermon today is not on my own authority. It's interesting to me that I quote other authorities in this. Why? Because these aren't my words. I'm not trying to argue with you anything to get you to believe my way because I'm an authority. That's not my job. My job is to open the word of God, read it, talk about it, and let, us, let the words of God bear weight on our souls. And every week we have a decision to make. Are we going to accept the words of Jesus or aren't we? Are we going to listen to the words and do them? Are we going to build our house upon the rock or are we going to listen to them, disregard them, and go back and think about whatever it is we're thinking without total any regard to what Jesus has just said? What are we going to do? Are we going to trust Jesus, God in the flesh, or are we going to trust our own human construct, something that we've conjured up ourselves because, hey, it's working right now? What are we going to do? Because if we're going to trust Jesus, we have to understand that trust is both an inward decision and an outward action. It's both an inward decision and an outward action. Are we going to be putting our trust in Jesus or aren't we? Here's what I think is amazing. God owes us nothing. God doesn't owe you anything. God doesn't owe me anything. When we are in this country and we break the law, we forfeit our, a lot of our rights. Okay, so if we break the law, right, we, you go, I have my rights. Yeah, you do, but you've also forfeited some of your rights by breaking the law. Guys, we have all broken God's commands. We have forfeited all of our rights. You cannot stand in the presence of God and go, God, you can't do it to me. I got my rights. He's like, oh, really? God owes us nothing. He doesn't owe us a happy life. He doesn't owe us good health. He doesn't owe us riches. He doesn't owe us friends. He owes us absolutely nothing. Which means this, everything that God gives you is a gift. It's a gift. God is under no obligation to give you anything, and yet God does give us things. He blesses us. Even these words, Jesus wouldn't have to tell us these things. 
You can just be like, well, figure it out yourself. And yet Jesus comes to this earth and teaches us and instructs us. That's a gift. No matter how hard you think it might be, that's a gift. And the other amazing thing is, is when we fail and when we sin, when we disregard The incredible thing is, is that Jesus always brings us back, and we can always come to him. And because of his perfect life, the fulfillment of the law, his death on our behalf, and his resurrection showing his eternal life, he continues to welcome us in. And when we come to him, we can be restored. That as we build the foundation of our life, when we cut a corner, if we've put our trust in Jesus, we can come back to him and he can restore those things. Or he could help us move on in the path of most joy. That Jesus doesn't give up on us. That Jesus cares deeply about us and cares about our decisions. And that if we just come to him, he will gladly instruct us patiently. And when we fail miserably and when we disregard him, we're going to do things our own way. And then we screw things up and we come back to him and say, Jesus, you were right, I was wrong. We don't receive condemnation. We receive instruction. We receive clarity. And we receive blessing, all of which God doesn't owe us and yet gives us graciously. What an amazing God. If he's willing to do that for us, just think about all the other things that he has done. And remember this, Jesus has never told a lie. God has never sinned. And God has not abandoned you no matter where you find yourself today. And you can trust him. And so even if these words are difficult to hear, know that they come from a trustworthy source that's going to not only lead you into bringing the Father glory, but will bring you a deep abiding joy. And when the rains fall and the floods come and the winds blow, we're able to stand firm. Let's pray.